Amen. God with us. Uh, I came across this that sermon when uh, while I was studying this week, and uh, to be honest, Spurgeon said it better than I could. Uh, so as we celebrate today, the last of the five candles of Advent, uh, although traditionally it was lit on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, uh, we light it today remembering uh, that Christ is the reason for the season, uh, right? Everything, everything in the Advent hinges on Christ. I've got a little feedback, Clay. Thank you, buddy. Uh, and, so, and so everything hinges on, on Christ. And so as we, as we have talked this, this, throughout this season, God has, has shown us so much through the first week of hope. Uh, as we talked about the hope of Christ that's, that's found, not just uh, in the coming of Jesus in the, in the manger, Right, but the coming as the Lord, the conquering hero uh, at the end times. We've talked about uh, the peace of God and how God has, as the Prince of Peace, has made peace in our hearts and in our lives. We've talked about the joy that transcends circumstances in our life uh, as a result of our relationship with Christ. But and then finally, last week we shared the love of Christ, that for Christ to pursue us in our sin, in our uh, darkness, for the light of Christ to invade our, li- our life uh, is, is nothing short of scandalous, that God would intervene on our behalf. And so as we, as we see, the reason why we light the Christ candle first is to remind us that Jesus is the source of everything, as as Charles Spurgeon put it in our uh, in the video, that he is he is everything. God with us, Emmanuel is the great game changer of history, and so we'd be remiss not to not to cover it. Uh, we're beginning, we're finishing up our series in living in between. Uh, this week we are highlighting Christ highlighting Christ and who he is and the ramifications of his life in our life as well. Today we finish up with the great culmination, the great epiphany of the Christmas season of of life altogether with talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, as I encountered another, another sermon of Charles Spurgeon, I was just kind of feasting on him uh, this week, and I came across this, uh, this quote here I want to read to you. The birth of Jesus is the grandest light of history, the sun in the heavens of all time. It is the pole star of human destiny, the hinge of chronology, the meeting place of the waters of the past and of the future. You think about it. Christ, even t- time itself, how we understand the year 2020 is the year 2020 because of Christ. Everything hinges on the existence of Jesus. But far more than a physical hinge, it is a spiritual hinge for all of us in this room. There is a hinge that is required. All of these candles show us what we have that's made available in Christ. But there's a mission 
that we have to emphasize as well. As we talk about the Advent season, as we remind ourselves of the goodness of God and His love and joy and peace and, and all of the things that He's given us, we must understand that there's a people outside of those things as well. There's a, there's a people outside of the relationship with Christ as well. And so we're going to begin reading probably where you left off this Christmas season. Every year we always do the same thing with my mom's side of the family. We gather in one house uh, and we read the Christmas story. We read Luke 2, right? Which tells us at the very beginning it talks about Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. We have the birth of Christ. We have the angels that explain to the shepherds everything. The angels go. They see the baby in the manger. They leave rejoicing. But that's usually where we end. Today we're going to pick up with the rest of the story in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Turn to Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 25. Because when we encounter Jesus, for us to encounter Christ this Christmas season, it's not enough just to say that everything that we have has been gifted us in Christ. We must understand all that Christ means for our life. And so we're going to see three things today as as we look at the testimony of a man named Simeon. A man named Simeon who it has an encounter with the Messiah in Jerusalem. And so the first thing we're going to see is that in an encounter with Christ is a time for expectation. It means for us a time of expectations. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, this is what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what is the consolation of Israel? Not a rhetorical question. You're answering online, that's fine, you can do that as well. It's Jesus, right? It's the Messiah. Now, they didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't have the name, but they were waiting for the Messiah. They had been taught their whole life. Now, they didn't understand how it was going to happen or what was going to take place, but their whole life they had been taught that the Messiah would come and he would set everything right. He would set the record straight for Israel. Israel at this time was uh, in battle. They were, they were in uh, They were living in Israel, but they were not the rulers of their own destiny. The Romans had taken over, and the Romans were lording over them. And so the Messiah would be one that would deliver, would kick down the doors of Rome, and that would deliver the people of Israel so that they could continue to worship the Lord. And so he was awaiting the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Father, I pray that today... Lord, that our posture would be similar to that of Simeon, God, as we expect, Lord, not just your coming, 
But you're coming again, God, as, as victor. God, as we live with the anticipation of your coming in our hearts. God, that we would take the same posture as Simeon. God, that we would hold you in our arms. That we would bless you for what you have given us through Jesus. And God, may you receive glory and honor for everything that's done and said in this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've been asked in ministry a lot. Uh, a question that probably you yourselves have asked, or at home have asked, how do I know that the Holy Spirit is leading me to do something? Right? How do I know that the Holy Spirit is, is telling me something to do? I, I don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do, so how do I know when it's the Holy Spirit leading me and not just the burrito I ate last night? Right? Like, how do I know? How can I tell the difference? How do I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? When, when we ask that question, we look at the life of Simeon, uh, we're told some pretty remarkable things. For one, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this is common terminology for the Old Testament. Uh, the Holy Spirit was put upon people, was laid upon people at different times in their lives, and then, over the course of time, the Holy Spirit would be withdrawn. We see it in Samson, right? That Samson, when he would have these moments of strength, the Bible would say that he would, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and then he would, you know, whoop a whole battalion of people with the jawbone of a donkey, right? Like he would do these unbelievable things after the Holy Spirit had come on him. And so the Holy Spirit would be laid on people for a set period of time and then it would be removed. This is, this is the verb that we see in the Old Testament over and over. It's similar to Simeon, that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, right? It was laid upon him. The David, King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, one of his most, uh, his greatest worries was that God would remove his spirit. Why? Because he had seen it in his predecessor. Remember, Saul was disobedient. God, Saul made sacrifices, tried to operate as the prophet in the area, and tried to make a sacrifice on his own. And the Holy Spirit of God, the anointing of God, was removed from Saul's life. And so when David was in sin... He began, you see Psalms 51, go back and read that in that context. Do not take your spirit from me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God was not understood for somebody that loved God. If you loved God, if you were a Jew or whatever, it wasn't understood that the Holy Spirit of God was on you at all times. But it says here that Simeon was a man who was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so what we see in the Old Testament is as people are obedient to God, as they listen and follow God, God gives his Spirit to them. So they work, they're righteous, they're devout, they're doing everything in their power to live according to the law, according to the, the rules that they have to live by. And if they do that well enough, then God grants his Holy Spirit from them. We hear that of Simeon. Simeon was first righteous. He was righteous, but he was also expectant of the consolation of Israel. Before God tells him that before you die, Simeon, you will see the Messiah, 
He is looking, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is awaiting the Messiah. And not in a physical sense. Listen, everybody in Israel was awaiting the Messiah so that they w- it would improve their lot in life. The Messiah coming meant good things for Israel. They no longer had to pay taxes to Caesar. There were good things that would happen when the Messiah took over. And so, but he wasn't just waiting for a physical, I want the Messiah to come to improve my lot in life. He was living righteously and devout, awaiting this Messiah, awaiting this consolation. He didn't know how it was going to be, didn't know what it was going to look like. Chances are he probably believed it to look very similar to what the teachers of that day thought, that he would be a military hero, but he was living expecting the Messiah to come. Simeon was first righteous and then expectant. As a result, the Holy Spirit was with him. And then we have Simeon. Not just showing up at the temple one day, but the terminology that is used in Scripture is that he came in the Spirit into the temple. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus uh, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Mary and Joseph were coming to do what every Jewish parent did with every Jewish-born male. They were coming to consecrate him to the Lord, to set him apart through circumcision. They were bringing Jesus to Jerusalem as it was commanded. And so they were performing this ritual, and in that instance, God led, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to Jesus, to the Messiah, to this child. But understand for us, the formula of obedience to God looks fundamentally different. For us to say, Simeon was expecting to have, see the Messiah, so we should be expecting, live expecting Christ's second return, would be to miss the entire point of the New Testament. Simeon was struggling to be righteous. He was struggling to be devout. Why? Because he had probably reached the same conclusion Paul did. That with the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so he constantly struggled. He constantly tried. He was devout. He was pious. He was righteous in order to see God. What we see for what Jesus accomplishes for us is something entirely different in the lens of the New Testament. You see, we cannot achieve righteousness on our own. Simeon could not achieve righteousness on his home. But through the coming Messiah, the consolation wasn't just for Israel, it was for the whole world. In that... We do not have to achieve righteousness on our own. When we receive Christ, righteousness is imparted to us. We are declared righteous. And so just as Simeon was trying to be righteous and and, and hopefully to see the Messiah, so we, when we see the Messiah, Messiah, when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the Lord, we may not ever be righteous, but we are declared righteous. Righteous. When Christ looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't argue. When I get to heaven, he's not going to argue how good of a guy Alan Ostrisky was. Because it's not good enough. What he argues is his substitute. 
And so the formula for us is very different. We have been declared righteous. And because we are declared righteous, we abide in Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ in this room or listening online, if you have a relationship with Christ, God did something in you that you couldn't do for yourself. He made you new. The old man is gone and all things have become new. He changed you from the inside out. As Dusty McLemore used to always say, he changed your want to. Christ changed you. If you've truly encountered Jesus, it's not about how hard you work to be good. Christ transported his goodness to you. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. This is what is given to us in Christ. This abiding creates within us a longing than to be in him. As we abide in him, we, Christianity is the only world religion that does not fight for the approval of their God or their higher being. We don't fight for that. Christ loved us and pursued us, and through that pursuit we find relationship with him, and then out of gratitude and thanks, thanksgiving for what he's done in us, we live for him. Not for approval, but because his approval was given to us through this child, through the Messiah. And so our life looks differently. Second Timothy, uh, Titus, excuse me, Titus 2, 11 through 13. It's not in your notes, but listen what it says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What are we asking? What is he asking us to live? Live like Simeon. Try to be righteous, right? But why are we living righteous? It's because the grace of God has been given to us. Out of gratitude, we live in a way that brings him honor and glory. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Christ has changed me, awaiting expectantly on him, I don't expectantly wait on Jesus to come as a baby in a manger. I expect him to come as the victor of my soul. And so because I am abiding in him now, because my relationship is growing now in him, one day I will be able to be with him. I will be in community and fellowship with Christ. And so what that tells us is for Simeon and for us today, the Spirit leads those who live in the anticipation of the Son. Just as Simeon waited his first return, we await his second return because we've received the guarantee of salvation in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And so what does it mean then to be led by the Spirit? Students in my student ministry for 10 years used to ask me, you know, how did I know that God was calling me, that the Holy Spirit was leading me to go to the University of Mobile? Well, I didn't. I liked the school, and I felt like God wanted me there. I felt like I could grow in Him there. I felt like I could learn and do the things I needed to there. And, but I didn't have the money. So I didn't have a way to get there, so I was going somewhere else. And then God provided for me. 
right? He provided for me. And so what did I do? I just followed his lead. It was obvious to me where he was leading. And so I followed him as he led. People ask me how I knew that I was called to Lindsay. How did you know the Holy Spirit was leading? Because that's how we phrase it, right? How do you know the Holy Spirit was leading you to Lindsay Lane? Here you go, real spiritual. You ready for it? I was 21. I was engaged. And I didn't have a job. And I knew I was called in the ministry. Felt like it was student ministry, at least for that time in my life. And y'all ready for it? A giant cloud opened up in the sky. No. Lindsay Lane was hiring. So I put in my resume. Super spiritual, right? I put in my resume, and they called me back. And then I said, well, shoot. Let's pursue this, right? God was leading me through the process. And again, I look back and I go, man, I see what God was doing all along. But it's not something I saw while I was in it. How did I know that I was called to plant Lindsay Lane North? I didn't. I didn't. My zip code was 35620, which was Elkmont, but I didn't even officially live in Elkmont, right? I was told, no, you're not in Elkmont because your kids go to Cedar Hill, so you're not in Elkmont, right? So we had to move to Elkmont. But God began to slant my heart for this community as I was in student ministry, loving what I was doing, serving with some of my greatest friends in the world, loving what was going on, God began to bend my heart as I stayed in him, as I remained in him, as I tried to be the godly husband that I could be for my wife, as I tried to be the godly uh, father for my kids, as I tried to remain in him, be the man that God had called me to be. It's not something I saw from the beginning. It's something I look back on and go, yep. I see what you were doing all along. It's the nature of being led not to know your destination. And if you don't come to grips with that, you will never understand what it truly means to follow Jesus. You are following a leader. Hey, if I've already been to a place, I don't need somebody to lead me. Right? I remember finding cool places in Elkmont, finding the covered bridge and uh, finding the waterfall. And apparently there's a cave in, in that I need to find in, in our community that if somebody wants to lead me, I'll go. Uh, like There are all these neat little places that I'm trying to find. Like, this is the coolest place ever, but I needed a leader to show me where to go. Well, I don't need a leader now to find those places because I know where to go. It's the nature of following to not know where you're going. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that God woke Simeon up and said, Hey, Simeon, you're going to meet the Messiah today. Get up, get your shoes on, let's go. I wonder if it just looked like, Hey, I need to be with God's people. I need to be at the temple today. In order for me to be obedient to God today, I need to abide in Him, and I do that at the temple. And He came, and while He was there, God showed him the Messiah. We get so caught up in the destination. So caught up in where we're headed. But if we will just follow him. What did Micah say? What's required of you, man? What's required of you to live your life is to love justice, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Humility with God means not always asking where we're headed. But just that I'm with you no matter what. Why? Because the secret is not in the destination. It's in being with him. And he'll lead you 
that way. And so we live to live expectantly. If we're going to if this is going to be a time of expectation in our life, we need to humbly allow God to lead us. Allow God to take us where we're going. But it's not just a time of expectation. We see Jesus, we encounter Jesus, we encounter a time of salvation. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is Simeon. You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. What is realized, what is realized through Simeon's prophecy is that salvation will be made available through this child. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter salvation. When we encounter, when you encounter Jesus, you encounter the opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Simeon said, prophecy. This was prophecy. Now understand why this is significant. Because nobody had seen a prophet or heard from a prophet in 400 years. Heavens were shut up. They were quiet. And Simeon, this old man, comes up and delivers a theological, Christological bomb of prophecy that this salvation, I have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of, of the people. It was it was a light to the Gentiles, right? It was before the old te- in the Old Testament, it was all about the old about Israel. It was about God's chosen people and that God would preserve a line for the Messiah to come and the Messiah would make all things right and all things good and Israel would be good again. This is what the people taught. But Simeon goes past just what his nationalistic bias and he sees that it was a light to the Gentiles, to those that aren't Jewish, those that aren't born of the tri- of Israel. It's a light to them, but it's also a confirming light to the Jews, showing them that this is the one that we've been waiting for. All that we've done up to this point, if Jesus never came, as Paul says, we are a people truly to be pitied if Jesus had not come. The Jews, the regulations, the, all the things, the legalistic demands that they lived on their life, all of it was for naught. All of it was a shadow of the real thing. What is he saying? The real thing is here. Salvation is finally here. I don't have to try to be righteous on my own. I am given the righteousness of God through Jesus. And so God, on your notes, God, God has prepared salvation for all. By making peace through one. He has prepared salvation for all by making peace through one. But we must understand something, church. The Advent season has been a whole lot of rainbows and butterflies and warm fuzzies about the hope of Jesus. About the peace of Jesus. About the joy of of Jesus, about the love of Jesus. Can I ask you this question? But what about those that don't have Jesus? 
that Christ candle isn't there, we have none of what we've discussed. None. It is the hinge of history. It is the hinge of the church. It is the hinge of all creation. Christ. Christ is, is the hinge of it all. And salvation comes. There is only one name under heaven given among men that by which men must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And so although salvation has been prepared for all, it will not be provided for all. It is not given to all. It's prepared, right? He said there that it was prepared in the presence of the nations. What it it doesn't say is that all the peoples believed it. And so thirdly and finally, a time of expectation, a time of salvation, but to encounter Christ leads us to a time of decision. So I have an illustration today. This will come as a shock to some of you. This is, a, these are, this is a shirt I own. I own it. It's mine. I hope none of you were sneaking peeks earlier because you know where I'm headed with this. This is a shirt I own that's in my closet. It stays there and uh, was, was gifted to me. And I want to I do an experiment. Okay, I need crowd participation. Don't be ugly, by the way. Don't be ugly. When I show you this shirt, I want you to tell me what comes up in your mind? What thoughts just invade your mind? Filter it for just a second and then decide to say it, all right? And then if not, Crystal, don't say it, all right? She's, I know she's not even in here, is she? Oh, man, she's serving. Gosh, look at there. I called out a volunteer. All right, y'all ready? I'm going to hear it from her, though. Uh, all right, here we go. Tell me what you think. Scam Newton. Scam Newton. That's from an Auburn fan, by the way. What? Best team in the SEC. Well, bless your little heart. What else? This is my shirt. The the what? The G train. Oh, Gus. The Gus bus. Yeah. All right. What else? Delusional. Wow. All right. Rich boosters. Okay. Come on, Auburn fans. War Eagle. War Eagle. There you go. All right. War Eagle. Here's, here's what I want to, uh, to paint to you. When I show you this shirt, there's a wide range of emotions. Some of you have really, really negative things to say. <laughs> but some of you, apparently not as many outspoken of you, uh, have... When you think of Auburn, man, you immediately begin to think of family. Think of the opportunity to gather around with your kids, to, to go to games, all these fun family memories uh, that you have. See, I have this shirt, but I have another shirt. <laughs> I have another shirt that I wear a little more often. Now, when I show you this shirt, what are things you think of? Roll Tide, winner, Auburn fans, how you feel about this shirt? Saving, okay. I don't have any like sellouts or sell your soul or anything like that, win at all costs, abandon morality, anything like that, I don't have any of that. <laughs> the Tennessee fan is physically ill. <laughs> 
when I show this shirt, I'm given the same divide, right? There's people that, when I think of this shirt, and I think of Alabama, I think of incredible, fun, incredibly fun family memories. I think of spending time with my boys. I think about celebrating championships, probably more than... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I think about some of those things, and it, and, and it unifies me together. When I hear Roll Tide, I'm like, Roll Tide, right? We, we give it back. War Eagle, same way. When you're, as an Auburn fan, why? Why does this divide exist? Because everyone in this room has made a decision. Everyone in this room has made some type of decision, or at least most of us have made a decision. Right? We've picked a side. And when we think about the other side, it's negative. And when we think about our side, it's all happy and, and warm feelings. I'm afraid that for four weeks, we've been giving one side of the equation and the rest of the world is looking going, we don't get any of that. These are arbitrary. These are teams that we root for. Right? These, these are arbitrary things that don't matter. But I don't want to leave Advent without with, and miss the mission. If we are the church and we have God's hope and we have God's joy and we have God's peace and we have God's love, then we owe the gospel. We owe those things to others. Because there's a time of decision that is necessary when we encounter Jesus. Luke 2, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus was not the unanimous leader in the clubhouse. He was not the one that everybody rallied behind. There was significant division when it came to Jesus. In the same way that I hold up a shirt and everybody has a negative or positive feeling, when people saw Jesus, they didn't all go, oh, it's Jesus, the Messiah. There was a decision that was made. In fact, he tells his mother Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Even the mother of Mary, don't, don't mix it. Who Jesus was is wrapped up in what he did for us, right? And so would, for him to suffer and to die, it would happen. And it would be the proverbial sword in the heart of his mother. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know what your son will be? The revelation of a lot of hearts. It's hard to hide the team we root for. Right? It's hard to hide it. I wish it was harder to hide whether we were in Christ or not. Unless good news is believed and received, it's not good news. In fact, it's the worst news imaginable. If it's not believed and it's not received, it is terrible news. Christ is not only the last hope. He is the only hope. He's it. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said that, that no man comes to the Father but through me. Guys, for those that don't have Jesus, they don't have these things. 
They don't understand. And in fact, they're not neutral toward Christ. They are against Him. They are rebels. As so we once were. So were we. But Christ has changed us. In fact, Matthew 10 tells us Matthew 10, 34, Jesus, as he's developing this big crowd of people, thins out the crowd by saying, hey, listen, don't think I'm coming to bring peace, physical peace. That was the goal for Israel, is to be delivered from their captors, to be delivered from those that were over them, and to have peace. He said, don't think I've come to bring physical peace. In fact, as the prince of peace, I'm coming to bring the sword. I'm bringing the sword. And he goes on to describe, listen, if you're going to follow me, mothers will forsake their children. That sons will forsake their parents. That it will divide people physically. Don't look for physical peace because you're not going to find it because Jesus was not, did not live a peaceful existence and the servant is not greater than the master. I'm bringing a sword, a division And you must decide. It's not enough for Jesus to do everything that he did for us. If we don't respond to this gift. If we don't receive it in humility. If we don't lay aside what we want to be or what's ahead for us in our minds, if we don't humbly follow Jesus, if we don't confess our sins to Him, if we don't do these things, then we miss it. 1 Peter 2, 6 says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The history of one who would look for a cornerstone is clear in Scripture. We have a cornerstone in this building. There's an ornamented stone, a plaque almost, that serves, doesn't serve the same purpose that a cornerstone does, but it just shows who built the church, and it's something that's a part of our history, and that we're going to keep there, right? And so it's part of a cornerstone. You can't see it's on the outside. But uh, I'm pointing, but you're not going to be able to see people like gooseneckin outside, all right? And... Uh, and, and so, but a cornerstone back then was the most important thing about a house. Because there wasn't a way to machine foundations that would be level, they would have to get the perfect stone in which they would plumb the entire house. They would make plumb the entire house, the entire foundation on this cornerstone. And what is Jesus? Well, sure, Jesus is our cornerstone, but for the world... Jesus isn't even a part of the building. They look at the stone and go, man, not only do I not want this from our cornerstone, it doesn't have any place in my entire structure. In my entire house, I'm throwing it out. I don't want anything to do with this Jesus. I don't want anything to do with this stone. There's no purpose that this stone can serve. And they throw it out. Yet for the church, it's the chief cornerstone. It's the most important thing in our lives. And so about this, I wrote, every man will either stumble 
or find security in the rock of ages. The rock of ages will either be something that you will build your whole life upon or it will be something that you reject entirely. To encounter Jesus is to encounter a decision. The teaching here is that the very stone that is not even allowed to be a part of the building of the world is the select cornerstone of the building of the kingdom of God. And so to end this message, I ask you, what is your decision? What is your decision to do with the person of Jesus Christ? If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're the most important person in this room. If you will respond in obedience to him, if you will humble yourself, if you will repent, God has grant, will grant you eternal life. It's a promise in his word. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you need to begin a relationship with Christ today, do not leave this place. Make the decision. I implore you, make the decision to follow him in your life. But if you have the gospel, if you have, if your life is built on that cornerstone, your life should look like it. Your life should have the specific flavor of someone who's been impacted by Jesus and it's shown to others. And so would you bow your head and, and close your eyes as we enter this time of invitation. If you need to make a decision for Christ today, I would ask you, I would ask you to not put aside this moment. Don't think you're going to circle back to it, but let today be the day of salvation for you. If you need to make a decision to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I pray that you would respond to Jesus today. We have counselors that are in this room to my right and left that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. We'd love for you to respond today physically, in person. We'd love for you to stand to your feet in just a moment to walk this aisle. Nobody's looking around. This is a, a safe place. But would you just respond in boldness to the invitation of Christ? Would you decide to follow him today? If you're here and you need to make a decision for Christ to surrender your life to him, would you do that right now? Would you do it right now? Just stand wherever you are. Stand and come to the front. And I think of no better way to uh, send off the new year and to welcome, or send off the old year and welcome the new year than for you to respond to Jesus today. And so if you need to make a decision for Christ, would you do that today? Would there be one? Alan, I, I, I want to follow Christ. I've made the decision to commit. I see what Christ has done. I want to live expectant. His return. I want to receive his salvation. And I want to decide to follow him today as Lord and Savior. Would that be you? Maybe you're here and maybe you need to make another decision. Maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but it's not what it needs to be. Maybe you need to join what we're doing here at Lindsay Lane North. Maybe you need to, uh, maybe you need to be baptized. As we've seen Chris already uh, portray a beautiful example, God, of following Christ in obedience. Maybe you need to be baptized and get that right with the Lord. Whatever, whatever decision you need to make today, I pray that you would respond to his invitation. Would you make the decision today? Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to you and whatever that means, whatever that looks like for us. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.
Amen. How about you? Would you bow your head? Keep your heads bowed, not closed. If that's you and you need to respond, no one looking around, would you just respond now? Counselors are here, would love to receive you. If there's anyone that needs to make a decision for you, would you, for Christ, would you respond? Lastly, what I'll tell you is there's another way. And for those that are listening online, if you will text the phrase North Connect to 31996, you'll be connected to our Connect card. On that is a way for you to let us know that you made a decision for Christ today. You're unashamed and you want to let somebody know. Uh, would you check that, uh, that box? It's on the drop-down menu. Check that. Give us some information. We'll follow up with you this week. For those of you that are in this place and for whatever reason may not have responded, there's a way for you to respond as well through those Connect cards on your seats. As you came in today, you can grab one of those Connect cards, Mark, that you made a decision for Christ or would like to talk to a pastor, and we'll follow up with you as well. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your presence that's in this place. God, we pray that we would live our life God, with you as the focal point, as the cornerstone. And God, that we would carry you unashamedly to a lost and dying world. God, we love you and we thank you for what you've done and accomplished in our hearts and our lives today. It's in your name.